You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Crippled Content Creations and Podcast Jukebox present Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability with your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark with Andrew Gerza. Shining a bright light on sex and disability. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello, hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. I'm, of course, Andrew Gerza, your disabled dicksmith. Let's get this show started. Get comfy, cozy, and crippled, whatever that means for you, and let's go. First things first, I want to give a big shout out to one of our new Patreon subscribers, Mark Thompson for pledging $1 a month to keep this show going. It means so much to me, and mark my words, Mark, you're freaking awesome. Thank you so much for pledging your hard-earned dollars. And what you get from that is that weird pun, which I guess was mark your words, Mark. Uh, thanks. And you get the shows one day early, so the shows now come out on Thursdays, and you, if you're listening on Patreon, will get them on Wednesday. So thank you so much for helping the show go and helping to continue to shine a bright light on sex and disability. Mark, thanks. If you too want to get an awkward shout out on the air for giving us some money to keep the show going, I would greatly appreciate it and you can head over to patreon.com slash disability after dark. I also want to hear all about your minisodes. And I want to hear your stories around sex and disability. Uh, if you have a story you want to share with us around sexuality and disability or just disability generally, I want to hear it. You can email me at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com with all your funny stories, your whatever stories you have, and we'll, I will read it back to you myself and we'll speculate wildly about it together. So if you want advice, if you have a weird sex thing that happened to you, if you want someone to just listen to your story, I want to be that guy. Send in your minisodes to disabilityafterdark at gmail.com and I'll put them in midweek whenever we get them. So flood that inbox, y'all. Thanks. Okay, so now we're on to, to today's show, and this is one that I have been really excited to share with you because back episodes and episodes ago, you heard me 
talk to my mom all about sex and disability. And I loved sharing that little family nugget with you. And today I get to do something similar. I get to talk to my sister, Heather, all about sex and disability. And in a really cool way. And I'm going to tell you all about it right now. If you've been following anything around my social media at the Andrew Gerza, you've probably seen me do callouts and pushes for my brand, Deliciously Disabled, and you've certainly heard me talk about creating the first line of sex toys for disabled people. Well, I am excited to bring to you today's interview because today's interview is with my co-founder of Deliciously Disabled, my sister, Heather Morrison. I'm also really excited about this because you heard way back in an episode me talk to my mom about sexuality and disability, and now I'm excited to bring you my sister, Heather Morrison. We take a deep dive into sexuality and disability. We talk about what it means for her to be working on a brand around sex and disability as a non-disabled person, why it's so important for her. We talk about what she's learned from this experience. We talk about the difficulties trying to get funding for a project like this. We talk about, we have a really hilariously awkward conversation about growing up as a young person, as a, as a sibling of a disabled person, and finding a weird audio sex tape that I made when I confessed to this audio tape that I was in love with my gymnastics instructor so instructor so you get to hear some real inner secrets about Andrew's youth and we had a really good chat and I'm really excited to be working with my sister on a brand to celebrate disability and I just wanted to share that that chat with you um so you get to meet my sister Heather Morrison and I'm really excited that you, you do right now on a brand new episode of Disability After Dark. Heather Morrison, welcome to Disability After Dark. Hello. Hi, how are you? Good, I'm so happy to have you here because not only are you a guest today, thank you, you're also my sister. So that's cool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So before we get talking about why you're here today, and the thing we're going to talk about, let's talk about you and me as brother and sister. So, can you tell us about what it was like for you growing up with a disabled brother? Um, sure. I think it was, I think to me, probably pretty much like growing up with any other kind of brother. I think the first couple of years you came into the world were probably a bit of a shock. Um, obviously, as I was used to being the only child and maybe a little bit used to having all the attention on myself, like most first children. Um, and obviously with, with you um, came a whole bunch of additional surprises and um, complications as well. Um, so I think probably when I was very young, it was a big change. Um, to share the spotlight with somebody else. Um, but I think, you know, growing up, looking back, it was very much a normal family and as much as it could be. And um, I think probably, you know, part of what makes you such a wonderful person today is that it was, you were very much treated as just one of the kids and we pulled pranks on you and we, <laughs> we um, you know, 
played tricks on you and you did those things back to us and it was very much a, a, I think a fairly normal sibling relationship both between ourselves but also um, between the rest of the family and then the rest of the kids um, and obviously it came with some perks i.e. getting to cut the line at Disneyland or um, any of the, the sort of theme parks that we got whether or not you wanted to go on that ride was often not necessarily the most important question <laughs> um, because you were going on that ride because we wanted to go on that ride <laughs> um, so you know having a disabled brother definitely has its upsides I would say <laughs> Yeah, take note, if you have a disabled sibling, get in, get in with them and make sure you can get in the front of that line for Disney World, because um, it's pretty awesome. Uh, do you kind of, like, remember, well, first of all, you guys scared me all the time, and I hated it. <laughs> well, it's because you're so spastic, so when you could get a good scare, it really, really could make you jump, so it was quite entertaining for the rest <laughs> of the family. I think, stop being so selfish, Andrew, and... <laughs> You know, just have a little fun. <laughs> Still true today. If you scare me right now, if there's any kind of loud noise, I jump a million feet in the air. So, so it makes true. a really funny face as well. So <laughs> it was, you know, really entertaining. No matter which side you were sort of catching it from, um, and if you got it right at the right moment, he might actually accidentally fling some food <laughs> if he was eating. So <laughs> there were many nights I think we went out to, to restaurants. And if I if there was a loud noise or something happened, I would fling all of our food at everyone because I got scared. So yeah, it happened many times. <laughs> um, Does it still happen today? Yeah. So if there's any kind of loud noise happened today, just before recording, I, I threw my dinner across the room. It was pretty fun. Yeah. So he's just a bit of a prima donna. That's what it actually is. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to be the center of attention. Yes, that's entirely. That's very needy, always needing the spotlight. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's very true. And uh, basically, I want everybody to shine a bright light on me all the time. It's true. Um, so, could you? Why don't you introduce yourself more formally? And so, you're my sister, Heather. Um, but who are you? What do you do? Yeah, so I'm your sister, um, which is obviously a great um, privilege um, and I am I live in Australia currently and for the last few years um, and for the last I guess 10 or so years I've worked as an advertising and marketing strategist and also an innovation strategist more um, for the last few years so basically helping companies figure out how to market or advertise um, their different products or services um, and what their brand should be about and what the ads should say and need to say in order to sort of drive the business objectives that they're looking for. Um, and then more recently as an innovation strategist, um, trying to help companies um, figure out which kind of uh, products or services um, or innovations they could launch next um, that would have the most sort of um, impact, I suppose, and, and sort of returns for them. Um, so that's kind of where I've spent most of my time playing from a work, work perspective um, over the last, I guess, better part of a decade. And that's super, that sounds like super, um, really technical in terms of like ad stuff. So how, so just to let the people know how you got involved with what we're doing, how did all of this stuff, how do you think all this work you're doing with ad stuff connect to disability? 
Yeah, I think so. For anybody who doesn't know, um, as I'm not sure if we've introduced it yet, we're creating the first line of sex toys for people with disabilities and specifically focusing on hand mobility. And so looking at people who, because of their limited hand mobility and, and um, maybe dexterity limitations, um, can't self-pleasure and therefore can't use the sex toys on the market that have been created for people who have that ability. Um, so really sort of honing in on that. And I think... <clears throat> Certainly, um, the innovation work that I've done um, has helped me a fair bit. So really looking at, um, you know, is this a need in, in society beyond just a few people? And what is the impact that's going to have, but also how to sort of structure the, the program to make sure. I think one of the, the things that I'm really excited by um, in terms of the work that we're doing on this and hopefully in every project is that we're getting, we're really working very directly with people who have these specific limitations. Right. So when you think of the work that we're doing with RMIT currently, which is in its sort of initial stages, um, working with yourself and also um, um, a female um, uh, case study who's located in Melbourne to make sure that we're getting really up close and personal in terms maybe a little bit too personal at times, um, in terms of, um, you know, what are the barriers you are currently existing when you try to sell pleasure, but also what are the barriers that exist with the toys on the market and really working with yourself to understand that versus yeah. trying to understand for, as an able-bodied person what those might be, because it's not just about the specific act of self-pleasure or using these toys. It's also about every point in the journey along that. So looking at when the box, um, when when you where do you get where do you get the product? Is it accessible? Um, how when the when you do get the product, um, is the box accessible? Can you open it? Is it easy? Is it easy packaging? If you don't have good hand dexterity, um, you know, all the way through to use as well as charging. So it's really understanding that full journey. And I think if you don't work directly with the community and with people who are going to be your end users, then you're you're going to miss some of those steps because um, just because of ignorance and not in a bad way, but just I don't know what all those are because I don't have them and so it's really important I think for this project and any project to work really closely with the people who are going to be the end users yeah. which is something that my work my background in innovation has really really helped me with understand better and, and advertising to a certain degree as well um, and I think looking at the next phase of the project where we start to prototype and then test the designs um, is going to be a really, really important part for us to get really, really close and, and start to sort of look at how those prototypes um, actually work across a number of different people. So not just working with one case study on each side, but really having a much larger sort of um, section of, of people and people who have sort of, no pun intended, raised their hands to say, I, I'm interested in sort of trialing this and giving you feedback on what's working and what's not. Because I think in only in doing that and having a lot of rigor and making sure that we really understand um, the problems and the design challenges that we have specifically for this need and really working with people who are it, having that lived experience will we get to an end product um, that we really know and not just believe but we know is actually going to solve the problem and I think we've talked about this before we won't probably ever be able to solve the problem for 100% of people but even if we can make some inroads and start to solve it for 50% of people that's definitely better than where we currently are so innovation has definitely helped in that respect and I think um, from an advertising perspective, um, everything you do from every single stage of this, even though we don't have a product, is still about marketing and advertising. Um, this podcast, for example, but also looking at how we're going to be able to raise funds and um, you know, who to talk to and how to start to get the word out about what we're doing. And, and all of those things definitely pull on my advertising background. Yeah. And I suppose the <clears throat> ability that I have to 
um, or that I've learned how to sort of structure a campaign, no matter what it is that you're after, whether or not, whether it's just an investor's ear or whether it's to try and get some people, more people onto a GoFundMe. Um, but I've still been learning along this journey. I've learned so much along this journey. So I think for anybody who's trying to do anything in a similar vein to you know starting their own thing or anything like that it's great to come in with a specific background but at the end of the day you will learn so much more than i've learned so much more than i've ever thought that i could and then we've only we're not even at product development stage yet so we're still very much in the r d phase so i can only imagine what we'll learn in the next six to twelve months will be immense yeah and we are we're we're learning so much and putting this together and what i love about this project is that you actually approached me with the project when we first started talking about it and started talking about working on something together. I remember we were sitting on a beach in Sydney, Australia. We were sitting, yeah, we were sitting <coughs> looking at the water, and you said to me, "Well, let's. Why don't we? You work in sexuality and disability. Why don't we do sex toys?" And I remember thinking, like, "Oh, okay. I hadn't really considered that." So, you as a non-disabled person, what about this particular project sparked? like an interest for you? What made you like, yeah, this is a great, what was the thing that made you, the catalyst made you want to do this? Yeah, I think, um, I think I probably, I think it was probably my, my, um, like, like being a bit naive actually is what probably brought me to this project in that I, um, until I really, we started talking about like some of the limitations of being able to have that sort of experience of self-pleasure whenever you wanted to without having to, you know, ask somebody to sell you up or help, help or for help or to hire somebody. I don't think I really realized as an able-bodied person that that, um, freedom that I have was actually like not something that was experienced or, or, um, yeah, experienced by everybody else. And I think it was also my, my, um, naivety that asked you, um, well, why can't you just use sex toys? Um, and I think, you know, you put it really well in that you said back to you, well, because for the same reason I can't self pleasure is the same reason I can't use toys. And I said, there's no sex toys that have been designed for people who are disabled. Um, and then this is before really understanding that we'd be specifically focusing on hands or any of that kind of stuff. And it's a very first blush conversation. Yeah. And you said, well, none, not really. Um, and none that work. And I just, to my mind, I think that was a big light bulb moment. And I think um, when I'm talking about it, this to people who aren't disabled, because I think what maybe what you're trying to get at as well is like one of the why should people without a disability or who are fully functioning from a hand perspective and able yeah. to self-pleasure, why should they care about this? And I think, I guess... It, Honestly, asking yourself if you're an able-bodied person or if you have full use of your hands and are able to self-pleasure, um, you know, how often do you, do you masturbate, honestly, you know? And then also asking yourself, have you ever considered what if that freedom and what if that right was taken away? Um, and what would you do and how would you feel? And it's not, I think it's not just about, um, like, sexual pleasure but it's also about a basic human rights and freedoms and sexual liberation um versus frustration and i think actually the people who, who should be the most wide-eyed about this are people who actually do have full use of their hands because 
I think it's one of those things that you don't actually think about or even realize until somebody actually tells you about it, puts it in your face. And for the people that I've been talking to about it, who have had it, I've had a chance to kind of explain it to, um, there is a big light bulb moment that happens for them as well. And they sort of realize what a big thing this actually is and what a huge part of humanity um, it actually would would be taken away from them if they were not actually allowed or able to, capable of doing that by themselves, unaided, in the privacy of their own home, whenever they felt like. Um, I think it's one of those things that we as people who have like, full use of our hands and able to do that totally take for granted. But as soon as somebody suggests that that might be taken away, um, it's actually a massive... Um, it's just it has a massive impact. So I think... Regard, I think it's a it's a huge issue whether or not you're disabled and or and or able to self pleasure or not because it's a basic human right which the World Health Organization has currently um, sort of declared. Um, but also, it's just part of being human and and a basic part of humanity that unfortunately has been um, removed from for some for a fairly significant subset of the population. And I think everybody should rally around trying to fix that, regardless of whether or not you're currently have a hand limitation or not. And I think <clears throat> you were saying the other day on a, a different sort of interview. Um, you know, because we've got a rising aging population, and actually, you never know what lays just around the bend. Um, you could very well need this type of a product in, you know, 20 years or 30 years yeah. or, whenever, or however long, um, because actually this product will start to look at and address some of the limitations that things like arthritis or Parkinson's or other sort of um, hand-related issues or aging-related diseases or, or dis disablements might actually bring. Um, so whether or not it's applicable to you today um, actually could be very applicable to you down the road. Yeah, and it, I mean, this is a product, and we've talked about this just in getting this to go. This is a product that we want to market for everybody, but we want to also put disability in the forefront first so that it's something that disabled people can say, yeah, this is specifically for me. For once, this is a toy that isn't that is for everybody, but has my experience baked in, and that's kind of awesome. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's not like we're saying people without um, hand limitations shouldn't use this. And in fact, like um, focus group of one, I would quite like a hands-free proposition from a sex toy. Like if you could have your hands free to do other things, then that sounds great. So I think it's like it's a proposition that has. Um, that has legs and, and I think would be pretty interesting and compelling to quite a few other people as well. And looking at, you know, certainly like looking at some of the really early um, ideas and designs that we've been bashing around with our team at RMIT, um, there's a few of those that I would buy regardless of needing, uh, needing it for the hand issue, but just because I think it's a great idea and a great design and I'd like to have my hands free to do other things. Awesome. Uh Weird question. What other things would you do if your hands were free? <laughs> it's really weird for your brother to ask you. <laughs> I'm going to pass. Hard pass on that question. All right. <laughs> but, you know, you can do things for yourself, or you can also do things for somebody else. So, you know, it doesn't, you don't always use toys when you're just um, on your own. You might be doing something with somebody else as well, and just an extra sort of um, prop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, I, I probably never thought I was going to be creating a line of sex toys with my brother, so <laughs> I suppose <laughs> every once in a while there are some awkward moments. 
it's a, speaking of awkward, I remember the first time we sat down with the team over Skype, all of us together, and I remember how we we they were asking me how you know how do you masturbate, how do you do all this. I remember we were on a video call together, and I kept looking at you and giggling because I was like, I don't know how to answer <laughs> these questions with my sister right there. <laughs> Yeah, I was taking notes at the time when I think I'd put my pen down. <laughs> um, but it's funny because, like, I like in talking so much about sex and masturbation and sex toys and all of these things and really pushing into this for the last like little while, you start to lose that filter really fast. And um, sometimes I have to remind myself that not everybody is quite as open um, and not everybody, um, you know, I have, sometimes I have to tell myself from approaching a disabled person I might see at a conference and telling them about this great idea because he might not want to talk to me about sex or his lack of being able to pleasure himself. Uh, and I have to remind myself that just because you're potentially our target audience doesn't necessarily mean you want to be approached by a strange girl at a conference talking about your masturbation practices. So, so you do lose a filter really fast, um, and all of a sudden you're very comfortable talking to people, including your family members, about masturbation and, and your practices, and how often do you masturbate, and all of these things, um, and what do you like, and where are the barriers, and all of that, and, and sometimes you have to kind of pull yourself back and remind yourself that not everyone is quite as open and forward. Yeah, um, I think it also has really strengthened our relationship together as like brother and sister and just in having these really being able to have these conversations and like laugh about it together is really nice because I don't think I just think it's like you said earlier it's tough it's it's an interesting it's an interesting relationship to have to talk to your brother about about sex or your sister about sex so so directly and I think that definitely has strengthened our relationship so every brother and sister who has a disabled person there, we, you should talk about sex more. Yeah, just, we'll, we'll put out a, lot of, a list of questions about your masturbation practices. You just go out to a bar and just get get cracking, get right into them. Yeah. Really. <laughs> yeah, not just about sex, but about specifically what do you like, how do you touch yourself and how often? <laughs> yeah, you'll think twice before opening the door without knocking. Let me tell you that. <laughs> So, tell us a little bit about the team of people that are that we're working with and kind of how that came to be. Yeah, so I think, look, I think I've, I've talked about my background and I know, I know a bunch of things about a bunch of things. I don't know everything, not even close, um, and, and similar to you. And I think, um, you know, we got to a point where we're like, okay, we've got this idea, we put out a survey to a whole bunch of... Um, you know, people on like disability subreddits, um, we got their opinions and their feedback. We felt like we were onto something, um, but I don't have a hot clue about how to design a sex toy. I'm not a designer. I'm not. I'm certainly not a sex toy designer, um, and I wouldn't have the first idea of how to actually, you know, what the next step would have been. And so, I took to Google, like any millennial does. Did a Google um, their first sort of port of call, and I googled sex toy design Australia. <laughs> Um, on my work computer, no less. <laughs> Hopefully nobody was going to my search histories. Um, and actually, you know, what was surprised me was actually like, um, a person named uh, Judith Glover, Dr. Judith Glover came up. She is 
a lecturer at RMIT University in Melbourne, um, but she is a, not just any lecturer, she is a lecturer on sex toy design. And so, I was, and there were a couple articles written about her and, and this sort of course that she's teaching. And first of all, I was like, what the hell? Nobody told me that this was a career path, first and foremost, because maybe I would have been interested in, in you know, doing something like that. Um, definitely was on the curriculum when I was at school. Um, and second of all, um, she just seemed like an amazing lady. She was doing amazing things. She was also a sex toy entrepreneur in addition to a lecturer. She had an industrial design background. And, um, I was like, well, she sounds like she's at least, if she can't help us, she can probably find, she probably knows some people who could. So let's just send her an email because she was um, on the university staff. All of her emails were public. Um, so we sent her a quick email just saying, being very vague because I think we were like, we don't want to give away our idea, so we'll just be really vague and we'll see what she says. We're being very, I think, holding the idea close to our chest at yeah. that time. Um, and she came back to us pretty quickly and just said, yeah, happy to chat more. And I think, you know, that first conversation with her, we, um, <clears throat> she, the first few minutes were a bit kind of like we were sort of both, I think, sussing each other out. And once we explained our idea to her and also introduced who you were and what your lived experience was, um, she opened up really, really quickly. And, and I think, you know, you and I were, were texting as we were talking to her and everything out of her mouth was just, first and foremost, if you want to talk about no filter, she's a great oh, yeah. <laughs> because she works in sex toy design everything out of her mouth was completely um uh, no filter whatsoever yeah. direct um and um and yeah and she and but she was also like really really keen to help and had said that this was something that she had been um, thinking about doing anyways and actually through her work and through talking to other people who were disabled, um, she was well aware that this was a problem and was a problem that had not properly been solved. Um, and so she, from the very beginning, we were, you know, we were texting and we were both just like, oh my God, we need to work with this lady. Oh, we she's so amazing. So she excited. has experience, but also she's so open and like absolutely no issues around, around sort of talking openly about it, but also working within the disabled community. And she just understood the issue so clearly, so quickly, um, and has so much excitement around it that I think we we're both just like buzzing while we got off that call. Definitely. Um, <clears throat> and then from there, um, yeah, so the rest of the team. So she's sort of our lead, our, our research lead, um, and our, our main point of contact. Um, she's absolutely incredible. And she's pulled together the most amazing team of biomedical engineers um, and uh, other industrial designers, as well as um, an occupational therapist, so that we can really also make sure that we're addressing the problem from a clinical and therapeutic perspective. Yeah. Um, so that, yes, it's definitely about pleasure, um, but at the same time, um, there is a real clear clinical and therapeutic need to have that kind of sexual release and sexual pleasure, um, looking at things like, um, you know, increased mood, decreasing pain, um, uh, increasing your immune system and all sorts of, and even increasing productivity. So orgasms actually have this, um, all these additional sort of health and societal benefits. Um, you know, you can always tell if somebody's really, really happy in the morning that maybe the night before they, they got laid. Well, that's, there's like, you know, real therapeutic and sort of physiological reasons behind that. 
So working with her is really important because we want to make sure that we're addressing things from both angles, the pleasure as well as the therapeutic side. Um, and ideally, we'd love to work with um, a, you know a few occupational therapists to make sure that it's some a tool that they actually feel comfortable prescribing to their patients right. um, who need it. So it would be a great channel for us, but also just a really good opportunity to help more people. I mean, it's also a great channel. Just just on that point, it's also a great channel to have healthcare providers have give them a tool to start talking about sex generally around disability because mm. when you go to your doctor right now if i go to my doctor right now to talk about sex they get all like oh boo oh no we're not sure how to do we don't know how to talk about that so at least if they had this product as something to start a conversation around around dexterity hands that kind of stuff then maybe that maybe it would change the way the medical community looks at sex and disability too yeah, absolutely. And I think working with that community is, um, will open up so many additional doors. So just thinking about what you just said, um, to understand where those barriers are for them in terms of wh- where they feel comfortable or don't, and also potentially even where are the legal lines in terms of what they're actually allowed to talk about and what yeah. they're allowed to say, um, you know, it could spin off into some sort of content or some sort of additional thing um, that actually helps them bridge that gap and start that conversation um, and also helps people with disabilities um, actually know how to ask their for help and what to say that that will make that will, that will I guess skirt the lines of any particular regulations that their doctors or OTs might be trying to work with it yeah I mean, and I think the regular I mean there are no regulations around sex and disability for OTs right now, other than like don't abuse your client, but but every OT that I talk to about sex and disability says we don't learn about that very much. And mm, clients have yeah, so it's an opportunity for us to start start that conversation, but also look at how we can um, help both sides. Yeah, exactly, and I, I I think having something tangible that you can be like, look, this is a great thing. This is a, it would be a really great start to, to changing that conversation. Um, one of the things I love about this project is that we talked. We, we we were talking about this last night on a phone call about the bigger vision of this project, and I, I kind of love where we want this to go. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, sure. So I think, <clears throat> look, when we started this project, um, I think the word naive comes into play a lot. I think, honestly, and like, let me know if you agree, but I think that in order to start your own project or business or startup or anything, I think you have to have a certain level of naivety. Because I think if you knew exactly how fucking hard it was going to be, (laughs) and all the hoops and all the things that you might have to do and jump through, I don't think most people would start their own business. Oh, yeah. Um, (laughs) So Because you have to kind of go in with, like, eyes a little bit shut and a bit naive. Yeah, definitely. Do you agree? You have to go in not really knowing anything because if you knew all the stuff you would say fuck it I'm not doing this anymore yeah this is gonna be really hard I'll just toil away at my desk job <laughs> screw that and so one of the things I was most naive about was like um being able like the, the amount of money that we were going to need to to raise and I think this is probably fairly familiar to anyone who started any sort of business or startup or even just tried to do an event or anything like that is that things always cost more than you think they're going to cost but my where my naivety really laid was that because we were working with um, with yourself, who's an obviously disabled man, um, and we were working on a, a product that was, um, well, first and foremost, like for 
had a social purpose and social good at the heart of it, and specifically fixing a direct need, but also overcoming um, a potential like human rights violation if if sexual pleasure is a fundamental part of being human then i thought for sure like tick tick you know we're going to be able to get some money um it's not going to be that hard for us to find grants who want to support people with disability um who are actually trying to not be reliant on the government funding to live but actually have great ideas and actually you know independent members of, of society um and um and I couldn't have been more wrong. And we scoured, and we're still scouring because we need to raise money for the next round of research um, for grants that are specifically um, for people within the disability disabled community who are entrepreneurial and who have amazing ideas. Um, and there, there are a couple. They're not international. Um, so you, um, I think there's one in the UK that is international, but it's very specific in terms of what you need to be doing to be able to get that money. Um, and the other one is in the US. Uh, remind me of the name. The other one in the US is the Effing Foundation. Okay. Um, that's not specifically just for people with disabilities, though, is it? No. That's more around sex. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so... So basically, there's basically zero in the world that we've been able to find specifically for people with disabilities um, to be able to go and say, I've got this amazing idea. Here's all the work that we've done on it. Um, can can we apply for financial, like for funding or grants or whatever? Um, and so one of the things, I just think that's really fucked up because people with disability um, should, should, there should be something that's set aside for them um, because and correct me again if I'm wrong in, in assuming this, but with all the other things that you are dealing with in a day-to-day, um, with all the aid and the care workers and everything else that kind of makes up your day-to-day, that able-bodied people, not only do they not even realize, but like it's not even on their radar. Um, if all those things that you're also managing, to then be able to also be entrepreneurial and be pushing an idea forward. I don't I don't personally think that you should, we should be going into the same bucket as everybody else who's fully able-bodied, who doesn't have to take extra time out of their day to manage um, all the things that come along with um, having specific disabilities. And so I just was a bit shocked, actually, that it, you're fighting for the exact same dollars as everybody else. Um, and and also I found the grants to be very specific in terms of you need to be in this phase or you need to be specifically in this tiny little category, but you can't be over there. And I just yeah. found the whole thing a bit surprising Um, and so to your your question what we want to be able to do is we're quite committed to making sure that um, a a certain amount of profit from every single sale whether it's through sex toys or any services or anything that the deliciously disabled brand um, makes money off of we want to take a a certain uh, percentage of that profit and put it into a fund that then helps um, disabled um, entrepreneurs who are coming up behind us actually fund their projects um, give them the support that they're looking for and also help sort of just I guess relay anything that we've learned to them as well so looking at actually starting up kind of a little mini fund and, and a little mini accelerator for people within the disability community um, because I think that's really, really important for us to be able to help other disabled entrepreneurs lift themselves up but also then empower them to give back to the same community um, and sort of help. So hopefully it becomes sort of a ripple effect of that we're starting with the first stone but then the more people we can help 
per coming up behind us will then turn around and help more people coming up behind them. Um, and I think that's the way that we'll start to be able to really see significant change and support within the community and hopefully have some amazing new ideas that actually see the light of day that would otherwise have had to struggle and compete with um, every single other you know big tech firm that maybe looks like it might be a unicorn down the road, um, which is currently where we're competing. Um, so it's a tough it's very tough steep competition where we are right now um but i think we'd like to be able to change that for people with disabilities that are coming up behind us yeah and I, that's part of that's part of the project that i love so much is that it it, it, it doesn't just stop at sex toys it we want to grow it out into a real brand that says like let's find a solution let's let's first of all let's talk about disability as it really is how it feels Sometimes some things that are great about it, but some things that are not so great about it, and let's work together to build solutions together as a community versus like always having to slog through the fight just to get stuff done. So that what I love about this is that it's giving us a platform to talk about disability in a way that we haven't before, and as a community stronger than maybe we have been before. Yeah, exactly right, and also to give everybody a voice and a say in terms of, you know. And just a bit more, be a bit more inclusive within the communities as well as we start to look at how we can solve different problems, making sure that um, it's much in the same vein as we're going to be working very closely with the community to create these toys um, for anything else that we might turn our attention to next. How can we how can we make sure that we're taking in the lived experience of the of the community as well to put out. Um, whether it's content, whether it's services, whether it's products, whatever it is, whether it's petitions um, to create and foster positive change, but also to celebrate the lived experiences that um, people within the disabled community have every day. So I think it's, yeah, it's almost like a really lovely higher calling, but it'll be, we're starting with the sex toys and, and we'll go from there. <clears throat> yeah, sex gets, sex gets your attention and then we'll pull you in with more awesome things after that, which which I'm really excited about. And I just think having a platform like Deliciously Disabled to talk about disability in whatever way we want that isn't just tied to one thing. Because so often when we talk about disability, all we ever hear about is accessibility and access. And like, why can't you get in that place? Because it's not an elevator, so let's build you an elevator and then we're done. But nobody talks, nobody goes any further than that and makes it like and talks about the things that are the emotional side of it and so I think Deliciously Disabled will start to do that in a way that is fun and positive and real and and I mean that's the part that I'm most excited about. Yeah absolutely in a way that celebrates the day-to-day -day, but also like looks at the challenges and looks at how to make them better um, and yeah and in a fun tongue-in-cheek celebratory way um which is very much an embodiment um of your sort of of how you are of what all this stuff is already um um so i i want also want to ask you how do you does it does it make you proud to have because with this brand we're building i'm a disabled person and i'm i'm you know one of the co-founders of this and it kind of feels nice to be in a position of power so rarely do we see services for disabled people run by disabled people so there's something really cool about that how as a co-founder of this thing how do, how do you feel about that pretty shit <laughs> <laughs> man that's <a> jazz. <laughs> this is a bit of a stepping stone for me andrew i'm probably not in this for the long haul <laughs> no obviously um it's i think 
it's, first of all, like I said, I don't think I ever would have considered that we would be going to the business together to create a lot of sex toys. I think it's very funny. Um, but at the same time, I think um, I've been able to be really, I've always kind of felt like I was meant to do something better, bigger than just sort of working for another, for an organization that I didn't ever really know what it was. Um, and I always wanted to help people and I always wanted to make a, a positive impact um, but I could never figure out how to do that on a large scale so I think this is one of the first times in my life where I've actually had that and where I feel really dedicated and driven toward and single-minded about something um, about what my direction needs to be and where my focus needs to be I don't know how we're going to get to the end um, but oh, like, I have um, no it's problem. one of those naivety things uh, I don't think you're supposed to because if you did you might you might quit right now yeah. but yeah. I'm extremely proud of what we've been able to achieve so far I've learned so much I know that there's still so much to learn um, and I um, and I love talking telling people about it and look watching their face light up when they've well two things when they first when they realize oh my god that's actually a huge issue and second oh my god that's actually a really amazing idea and, and third oh my god I can't believe that doesn't exist um, so <laughs> It's been, yeah, a really big source of pride, and I think working with you as well has been really amazing um, to have to actually be working with one of your siblings and to to learn more about what their skill sets are and to watch them um, as they kind of do their thing and they shine and to see how amazing, incredible they are on a day to day um, has just been a really positive experience in every way. Yeah, and I, I think there were so many times during our childhood when we were coming up where we didn't discuss this stuff and we didn't talk about these things we we didn't have the connection like we have now so there was stuff that i was going through and stuff that you were going through that we never connected on and i don't just mean about sexuality just as people and so now because we have this like really awkward funny thing we're doing together we can be more open with each other and more connected and i just think that more families with disabled people in them should really talk about that word shit together because it does bond you together in a way i don't think you expect until it starts happening to you Exactly. And talking about awkward shit, I'm not actually sure if I ever told you this. I told, I think I told mom, but, um, did you, did you know that I found like a recording of you, um, like basically talking about how much you fancied your gymnastics instructor when you were quite young before you'd come out. <laughs> I think I was, it was in the era of recording stuff on those little like handheld devices and the little small tapes. Um, and I think I was trying to use it for like a school thing and I found it and I was like, oh, I wonder what's on here. And I, <laughs> and no. I wanted it and it was like you like really going into like the detail about like how much you really like love the rock hard muscles of your gymnastics instructor. Oh, no. And I was just like, Oh, <laughs> and I was like, wait, does that mean, <laughs> oh yeah, no, probably, I was like, mm, I feel like I'm just going to pretend like I never heard this, <laughs> and then a couple of years later you came out, and I was like, yeah, <laughs> not <Yeah>. surprised, <laughs> wow. did you ever, did you know that, did I ever tell you that No, before? I didn't, <laughs> I don't even remember doing that, so that's a new piece of information yeah. for me. <laughs> Yeah, it was uh, hot and heavy. <laughs> That's uh, cool. Do you want to try my little virgin ears at the time, Andrew? You were far dirtier than I was. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, you still are. So. <laughs> I mean, I need to. I need to talk to mom after this and find that. Find that recording, because, wow. Uh, I'm not sure if it still exists, but it definitely did at the time. <laughs> 
I don't know how to segue into the next thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, so, <laughs> just going to breeze past that awkward moment. Uh, so, t- tell the people how you, how we would like them to get involved with Deliciously Disabled, how they can help kind of speak about the cause and how they can get things, help us get things moving. Sure. I think there's probably a few ways to get involved. Um, the first uh, way and probably the way that everybody can help, um, regardless of your financial state, um, is to please share um, share, share the, the sort of links that we'll be posting on the website. There's more information. If you go to www.deliciouslydisabled.ca, um, there's more information there as well. And if you can share any anything about this project that links back to... Um, that or the and or the GoFundMe, which uh, we'll also put on um, as a link, um, that would be really really helpful. It's really just about increasing awareness. Um, you never know who you end up meeting and the people that come out of the woodwork. So I think first and foremost, if everyone can share um, and help us drive awareness for what we're trying to do, that would be immensely helpful. Um, the second way um, is <clears throat> um, through our GoFundMe directly. So we're currently just finalizing the. Um, this, this first round of research from a funding perspective. So I think we've raised almost um, like $10,000 um, through GoFundMe. There's a couple, there's some donations that came in privately. So on the GoFundMe, I think we're up to about nine, um, yeah. but there's a bit of money that came, that came in outside of that. So I think we've raised almost 10 grand, which is amazing. We've got a few grand left to go. And really probably what's been the most incredible is watching, like it's actually the smaller donations, but many of them that actually helped us get to where we are. So we, we did have some bigger ones, um, but it was, those like 10 20 donations and and many of them that that really kind of like helped us like drive all the way to we've had over 200 donations so actually it was the smaller stuff that really helped to to sort of get us to where we are so even if you don't have a lot of money but you think what we're doing is we're supporting um five dollars ten dollars we're not picky honestly anything that you've got would be incredibly helpful and incredibly appreciated um and then i think the final way which probably isn't for anybody, everybody, but potentially some people out there listening or even people who have ideas or people who know people who might be interested. Um, as we push into this next round of research, which is the prototyping and testing. Of, so this first round of research will give us some initial design recommendations, which would be great. Um, and then we'll, we need to take those and we need to test them with the community we need to make prototypes. And we actually need to make sure they work, um, which isn't something that all companies need to go through. But if we just took the designs from this first round and put them out and to put them straight into manufacturing um, there's a really good chance that they actually wouldn't work for most people so it's really really important for us to do this next step of let's prototype these let's let's test them with the community let's see what's working and then let's go back and change them and test them again and change them based on those and then put out a final design so because we're doing so much work around that and it's so important for the <clears throat> efficacy of the project, um, it does require a fairly significant chunk of change. Um, so, and, and because we're so committed to working with the community, it means that we, you know, it just it requires some money. Um, so we are starting to, um, we are now entertaining um, proper partnership and fundraising, um, funding and investment uh opportunities um you can get in contact with us um our web our emails are on our website at deliciouslydisabled.ca or mine is heather morrison at deliciouslydisabled.ca yours is andrew gerza at the same end line um and in this we've will actually be um opening ourselves up to a trade for equity um so we've got um, a rough sort of valuation and anybody that comes on board at this stage from an investment perspective um will be entitled to an equity trade 
Um, so we can go into more details for that for anybody who's interested. Um, but it is probably the the best time to get in um, because it will be you'll get the most equity for the lowest dollar um, trade um, at this sort of stage. And obviously, as we move forward and our valuation increases, then that then those numbers start to change as well to reflect that. Um, so yeah, um, those are sort of the three ways you can help. Um, please share. Um, Please, um, if you've got a few extra dollars, that help us uh, raise the rest of that $3,000 um, through our GoFundMe. And if you're interested in sort of buying into this from an investment perspective and you believe in the, the vision that we've painted, um, then we're open to um, speaking with potential investors um, as well. If you want us to put our sex toys in your face, literally, um, then you help us out to help us do that. Uh, <laughs> that was a bad joke and it didn't go anywhere. Um, it's a bit raunchy. <laughs> <laughs> because you said earlier about something in your Thanks face. Thanks for that, that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, this was a really fun chat, Heather. Thank you for waking up early on a Saturday, on a Sunday morning. Well, thanks for having me, and um, thanks everybody for listening as well. And it's really, yeah, it's been great to chat, and it's been a really exciting, fun journey so far. And who knows where we'll be in a few months from now? I don't. Yeah. <laughs> me neither. Um, but this, it was also really fun to hear that I did a recording of my of me getting hot and heavy with my gym teacher with my gymnastics yeah. teacher. That feels you're you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> This is what happens when you interview your family. They will reveal things to you you don't remember doing, just like that. <laughs> um, Heather, this is a great time. Thank you so much for coming on. And, um, Thanks for having me. How, and so we'll make sure that people can email you at Heather Morrison at deliciouslydisabled.ca if they want to help out. And um, thanks for coming on Disability After Dark. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right, friends. That's another episode of Disability After Dark the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. My name is, of course, Andrew Gerza, and thank you so much for listening and helping the show go. I really appreciate that you all listen and that you come back every week, and I love doing it, and I love shining a bright light on these topics, so thank you. If you want to follow my work, you can head over to www.andrewgerza.com where you'll find my writings, some cool videos I've been in, and you'll see where I've been talking where I've been doing talks, and if you want to hire me to talk, you can do so there as well. If you want to follow me on the social media, you can put in all my handles on Insta, Twitter, and Facebook at TheAndrewGerza. If you want to follow the podcast specifically, you can follow us on Twitter at DisAftDarkPod, or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash DisabilityAfterDark. This show is a completely independent production. I literally record the show here in my bedroom in Toronto, and that's awesome. So if you want to support this fully independent program, you can head over to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark, and you can pledge $1 a month to get the show early and get really cool perks like that, and I, I will give you a shout-out on the air, and thank you for your support. It would be super awesome if you could also leave a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast so that this show, all about sexuality and disability, something we don't talk about enough, can get more traction and more people can hear about the show. Lastly, if you want to be a part of Disability After Dark, you can submit your suggestions, story ideas, or your minisodes to our email inbox, 
disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next time right here on the program Shining a Bright Light on Sex and Disability, Disability After Dark. New episodes of Disability After Dark will be available every Thursday on your favorite podcast app. Also available to Patreon subscribers one day early on every Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations with music by Chris Sugiuchi. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright 2019